The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We can sing the most beautiful music. That does not mean that those who sing that beautiful music and who play so skillfully those violins and those keyboards know who Jesus Christ is. We live in a time of great deception. Please, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying today. For some of you, what I'm going to share today will be what you already know. But for some of you, this will be new. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I want you to be clearly aware of why this sudden destruction is going to come upon America. Already our middle class is being destroyed. Already millions of Americans are out of work and soon will be evicted from their homes. And starvation is coming to America and to many other nations as the political process uses whatever means is necessary to bring about the subjection of the people and to bring in, to usher in, the one-world government and the Antichrist. We've come to a time of great crisis and destruction in our nation. There are very serious reports that Canada has made a treaty. Mr. Trudeau, or Trudeau has made a, a treaty with China and is hosting thousands upon thousands of Chinese troops right on our northern border. Also on our southern border in Mexico with a planned invasion of America. there will at some point probably be a nuclear exchange. We live in a time of grave crisis, a time when sudden destruction can rain down from the sky and totally obliterate entire cities. All of this because America has turned away from the living God. There is no sanctification. There is no holiness in the American church. I'm going to show you today a great divide in the American church. A divide as equally toxic as is the divide between the red states and the blue states. We are not just politically divided. We are also divided in our understanding of the Scripture. Now, before I share this stunning truth with you today, I'm going to share with you where the turning point is before I share this, we need to pray. Almighty God, I ask for your wisdom and your words as you have called me to lay out clearly from the book of Romans the flashpoint difference between two very different groups of Americans. I pray, Lord, that this message will have feet and will travel across this country. 
I pray, Lord, that you will use it to awaken your people to the crisis we face with you, Jesus. We face a crisis, Lord, with China and with Russia, with Democrats and Republicans. But, Lord, all of that pales in insignificance compared to the crisis we face with you, Jesus. Lord, I'm asking that you would awaken your church now to its dire condition and understand that sudden destruction is about to come upon us because of our sin. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The great divide is seen most clearly in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. Let me read it for you. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Each group of the two parties will read this passage of Scripture and say, that's right, that's my text. Because biblical scriptural words have been corrupted. They no longer mean what they mean. We have freighted these words with new meanings. And these new meanings have led us to a point of destruction in America. Let me share what I mean. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, one party says, oh, we have been justified. It's a legal term, a forensic term. And it means that all my past, present, and future sins were forgiven when Jesus finished the work on the cross. And that now I don't need to repent I'm advised to repent because it will affect the rewards I receive when I get to heaven. Maybe a bigger house or nicer amenities. And so the saying goes, once you're saved, once you're a part of the family of God, he has unconditional love for you. Well, does God have unconditional love for you? They believe that this word, having been justified through faith, means that God forgave all of your sins and that now you cannot lose your salvation. You're good to go. Without regeneration, without holiness, without sanctification. Now, some of the chief teachers of this, I don't want to but they're very popular and they're on this radio station's agenda as they are nationally with nationally known names. And they all say you're God's kid and you can't lose your family position. You can't sin your way out of salvation. They say you are justified. Your sins are forgiven. Through faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And they say, when God looks at you, he does not see you, he sees Jesus. That's their position. It's called modern Reformed theology. Now, just to be clear, John Calvin did not believe this. John Calvin said you could not separate justification and sanctification, holiness. Jonathan Edwards taught that if you were still walking in sin, you obviously were not saved. 
you were lost. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, he preached to a Reformed congregation. And they shuddered in fear because they knew they were still walking in sin and they feared that they would drop into hell at any moment. Jonathan Edwards, that great Reformed preacher of the past, thought that you must leave your sin if you're going to be saved. And then George Whitfield. George Whitfield was another Reformed preacher. And he taught that if you were still walking in rebellion against God, you were still walking in sin against God, you never were saved. You're lost. The Puritans, who literally came to America for religious freedom because they wanted to walk righteous and clean before God, they were very disciplined. And they meted out punishment for sin. And they believed that if you walked in sin, you were not saved. But in our modern day, our modern day preachers teach that you can even take the mark of the beast and you will still be saved because once saved, always saved. Now let's go to the other side of the aisle. I read this passage, and it says to me, Therefore, having been made righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the word justified means something totally different to me than it means to the modern church and the modern theologies. You see, the word justified is an old English word. And it meant, literally, to make righteous or to make innocent. Now, the Greek word is dikasune, which was used, speaking of the Old Testament, as declared righteous, a legal act. Now, this was necessary because the sins of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, King David, these sins were not wiped away. They were just declared covered. Legally, they were covered. But the blood of bulls and goats, according to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, cannot remove sin from a man or a woman. Shall we read it? Let's see if I can find it quickly. Yes, here it is. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because... It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so in the Old Covenant, sins were declared legally covered. They were not forgiven until Jesus died on Calvary's tree. And then the blood of Jesus washed away their sin. So we come to this word justified or dikasune, and the literal meaning in the New Testament is to be rendered righteous, to be rendered righteous or rendered innocent. In other words, you were literally made righteous. So, in the New Testament, one side of the argument that believes in eternal security believes that it's a legal maneuver. It's a shell game. 
you are called something you are not, as though you were. No. You are made righteous in reality. That means there is no such thing as imputed grace for you theologians. It's not taught anywhere in the New Testament. It is imparted grace. It is imparted righteousness. It is real. It's not make-believe. A man does not struggle and struggle and struggle and be utterly unsuccessful in overcoming a sin, and yet he is saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Death is not our Savior. Jesus Christ is. So, for me, since we have been made righteous through faith, and I am made righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's a supernatural work of grace of being born from above, being a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Now, please, grace is not used in the New Testament as a covering blanket for wickedness. Titus tells us that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace does not cover sin. Grace teaches us to go to Jesus for the removal of that sin and for the victory over it. Now, if you look in earlier chapter in the book of Romans, let's turn to Romans, the third chapter. I want to show you a glaring example of what I'm talking about because the NIV Bible, and I'm not a fan of the NIV, but also even in the King James Version, which I have as my first preference, it's obvious that the theologians who translated it helped in the corruption of biblical language, which is very troubling to me. But in Romans, the third chapter, verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The word declared is not in the Greek. It is an added word to help you understand that this is legal righteousness, but it's not legal righteousness. There has to be a righteousness outside of the law that can make us righteous. Then if you look at verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. Whoa, now they say grace is covering our sin so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. That's a lie. It's not true. You see, when I was growing up, I thought everything was a sin. And I listened to the Bible answer man on one occasion when when a caller called in and said, is it possible for me to leave my sin? And the Bible answer man laughed and he said, no. You're going to be a sinner until the day you die. Even the most righteous act you perform is a sinful act before God. They so generalize sin that you are a total sinner in everything you do. I remember when I first started, I preached a message, and in that message I said, all of our righteousness before God is as filthy rags. My 
director of music came to me after the service, very broken. And she said to me, Pastor Ray, do you really believe that everything we do is sinful? I said, yes, that's what the scriptures say. She said, no, Ray. You're missing the real meaning of it. God changed me. He transformed me. He made me into a new creature. I'm not that same old person anymore. And I walk righteous before God. I said, no, 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 no. Even your righteousness, the scripture says, is filthy rags. She said, you don't understand the scriptures, Pastor. I can't be here any longer. I'm turning in my resignation. And she left the church. Well, she was right. She was right. You see, if you look in the scripture at what is sin, you have to go to 1 John, the third chapter. This is the third chapter of 1 John, verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, we could go to several places, and I could point out the same thing. The Greek word, of course, is harmatia. And classical Greek says that harmatia means missing the mark. You shoot an arrow at a target and you don't hit the bullseye. You have sinned. John Wesley talked about this. He said, no. The biblical definition of sin involves a voluntary participation on my part with the powers of darkness. It is, to use a big word, volitional, volitional, or voluntary. I give myself, I give myself permission to rebel against God. It is lawlessness. So the biblical definition that we function by in the gospel is not the classical Greek definition of sin. It is the biblical definition of sin, which involves always, all sin involves a voluntary compliance on my part with the work of darkness, with the work of Satan. Otherwise, it's not sin. We all have a conscience, and the Scripture informs us about what that conscious awareness of our sin should look like. Sin, harmatia, is voluntary rebellion against God. You see how some of these words have been changed. Their meanings have been changed. And so when you read the scriptures and you read these words, it's easy to be confused. But there's another way that we must use to be clear in the definition of our words. And that is context. 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 Sin is transgression of the law. It is a voluntary transgression. It's, it's not an unconscious. It's not unconscious. It's voluntary. It's giving myself to it. Now, I want you to see something and see it very plainly. And I'm going to go back now. I want to read some things to you in 1 John. But what I want you to hear, please don't be confused by this. And don't walk away yet. Please listen. Hear what I'm saying. It's it's essential that we begin to understand what has happened to us historically to bring us to a place today where a Christian man said to me, well, I said to him, are you married? He said, no, I'm not married, but I'm living with a woman. I said, you're living with her? Yes. 
But she's good and I'm good. We're good to go. God understands. Does God understand fornication? Where in the scriptures do you read that God understands fornication? Where in the scriptures do you read that that you can shack up with somebody? It's not there. So part of what we have to do is look at the totality of Scripture, at every part of it, in the context, and say, okay, what's the definition of justification? Because some of you don't know the Greek and you don't know how to look it up. But you don't need to. You can begin to understand that salvation language has been corrupted and you begin to pray and say, Jesus, would you show me the meaning of this word? And, and please, I have to tell you, I've studied theology all my life. I have taken undergraduate in theology. I've, I've done a Master's of Divinity in theology. I've studied and read, but I struggled with this. Because everybody just assumed that justification meant legal righteousness. But it doesn't. And quickly, when you read the scriptures, you understand it doesn't mean that. So by context, you can get the meaning of a word. Do you understand how they, how they've translated languages that they don't know the exact meaning of certain words? They look at the context, and the meaning of the word is made clear by the context. So a man or a woman can read the scriptures with an open mind to say, okay, let me read the scriptures, and based on what the scriptures say, I will then know what the word justification means. It will be made clear to me. So please... Listen, open your mind and hear what the scriptures say about sin. I'm going to read to you from 1 John, the third chapter. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What do you mean purifies himself? I mean cuts off all sin. That's how you purify it. You cut off the sin. Some of you say, oh, I'm saved. But you sit down and drink in the violence of television. You go to the strip club, you go to the, the club, you drink with your buddies, you live like the world. But you call yourself a Christian. Let me go on. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. So in other words, I've asked this question so many times of so many different people and preachers. Is it possible for a Christian to stop sinning? And without a doubt, I will get the same answer. No, it's not possible. We're all sinners. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. Now, Wesley said sin was voluntary rebellion against God in accord with the scripture that I've shared with you. He also said infirmities are not sin because it's not voluntary or deliberate rebellion against God. If I go to the golf course, which I don't go, but I hit the golf ball to get a hole in one, 
I'm not going to get a hole-in-one because I don't have the physical coordination or strength to make that happen. I have an infirmity. God doesn't judge me for the infirmity. He judges me on the rebellion of my heart. Now, we also said, John Wesley, that immaturity is not sin. I'm very grateful that immaturity is not sin because when I arrive in heaven, probably for the first million years, I'm going to be a very immature earthling. And angels will help me grow up. They'll coach me. Help me understand what the deal is in heaven. So immaturity is not sin. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that immaturity is sin. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that a disability, an infirmity, is sin. It says that sin is rebellion against God. It's breaking his law. Now, please listen to this. No one who lives in him continues to sin. That's the NIV. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. So, a person can come and they can sing, O come, all ye faithful. They can sing it with passion, exquisite beauty, and then go out and get laid or get drunk. But they believe they're saved. They believe they're on their way to heaven. Or live with somebody they're not married to, or be bitter and angry, or hostile, lie, cheat, steal, and they they're good to go because all of their sins were forgiven at the cross, past, present, and future, the finished work of Christ. Can I tell you what? Jesus did not forgive your future sins. He made provision for your sin to be forgiven. He finished the provision part. And if you read carefully the book of Hebrews, you will find that Jesus right now is in the tabernacle of heaven, which is the command center of the universe. And in that place, he is applying his blood to those men and women who are willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Do you hear me? Please understand me. If you are still walking in sin, you are of the devil, according to 1 John, the third chapter. Verse 8, he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If you are continuing to sin, it is because you have not been born of God. Or because you went back and rebuilt what was destroyed by the Holy Spirit when he gave you new birth in Christ. But either way, you're lost. Now, if you understand what I'm saying, you will recognize that the American church deserves the destruction that's come upon it. Now, you can go to church You can sing songs of praise. You can put your tithe and offering in as it's convenient for you. And you can go home and drink and smoke and carouse and carry on and tell dirty jokes 
You're of the devil. Now, please, we are in such a crisis in America, we can no longer afford to be lied to. We can no longer afford to play games with God. When God's people will finally get real with God, God will get real with the church. But in the meantime, he is going to leave the church to utter destruction. He's not going to answer the prayers of people who are wicked people pretending that they're holy. He won't even hear their prayers. Most people that I know are still wildly compromised with the devil and have not utterly given themselves over to Jesus Christ. And even the ones who say, I am utterly given over to Jesus Christ, have great resistance in their heart against holiness and against obedience to Jesus. And when their worldly life interferes with their walk with Jesus, they will choose their worldly life. They'll choose their entertainment. They'll choose their job over Jesus. They keep their job separate from Jesus. They compartmentalize. So now a person can give themselves utterly, fully, and completely to their work even though Jesus has told them to do something else. But they're compromised. And there's a brittleness in people who resist And in almost every Christian that I know in America today, there is a brittleness. Don't talk to me, Pastor, about my sin. You know, you sit down with somebody and you say, Look, dear brother, I see what you're eating. And I see how you're consuming all of that sugar. Do you understand as one brother said to me, when they go to the hospital and they're sick and they call for me to come and pray with them, how do I pray with them when I know the way they eat and I know their disobedience before God? No holiness. Now, do you understand There has to be a total, complete, absolute change in the hearts of God's people if we are going to avoid the destruction that is rushing upon us in America. It is rushing upon us in America. We're about to lose everything because of the wickedness of the Christian church in America. We're rich. We have beautiful buildings and great entertaining preachers and praise and worship that sounds like a dance club. And we love it that way. But God hates it. So he vomited the church out of the buildings and many churches are now having to go bankrupt because they borrowed so much money to build their great edifice. They can't survive it. Do they call the church to come together and cry out and repent? No. They try to find bridge loans, and they try to do this and try to do that. It's all I can do to keep from weeping today. I didn't sleep last night. Well, a little bit. I went to bed late and woke up at 3. Couldn't sleep anymore thinking, praying, crying out to God about this. We're in such trouble, America. 
Christian church were such were in such trouble before God. How are we going to deal with this? Well, there's really only one way. There's really only one way. That means we're going to have to repent. We've been told we don't need to repent. We've been told all you'll miss are a few rewards in heaven if you don't repent. You're saved. You can't be lost. God has unconditional love. There's a finished work of Christ at the cross. All lies. But we like those truths, so-called, because they allow us to love Jesus sentimentally like a rabbit foot or a Santa Claus. We like it because the strategies for success are taught, prosperity is taught, blessings, blessings, blessings. But no real righteousness no laying down of our lives before God. No turning in humility and saying, Lord, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm a son of the devil. If you're still in sin, I challenge you to go to the Lord Jesus and say, I am of the devil, Jesus, and it must change. I repent. And to repent means you cut off. You cut off the violent movies, the wicked entertainments. You cut off the professional sports and the NASCAR and all the foolishness of this world. You you cut it off. You cut off the worldly music and the worldly dancing. You cut it off. You're to die with Christ. You can't die with Christ and live for the world anymore. You can't do it. You're lost. You've got to come and be crucified with Christ. You've got to turn from all wickedness and from all self-indulgence and from all self-pleasure and turn to Jesus and learn how to walk with him by reading the word. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Oh, my brother, my sister. We need to build a fire in our hearts for Jesus. We need to get clean with him. We need to pray. We need miracle deliverance. It may already be too late to turn aside the judgments that are falling upon this nation. This nation may yet be utterly destroyed because of our sin, the sin of the church, not the sin of the harlot, but the sin of the church. Remember Jesus said to Abraham, if you can find 10 good people in Sodom, I'll spare the, I'll spare the city. There were not 10 righteous people in all of Sodom. Are there 10 righteous people in the church today in America? 
we're in trouble. Well, I'm going to continue this this week. But I'm calling you to read the scriptures for yourself. Romans 3, 4, 5, and 6, 7, and 8. Read the scriptures. Read First John, the entire book. It'll take you just a few minutes. Read it every day. Read it, read it, read it. Let it soak in. Let the Holy Spirit begin to tell you the meaning of the words. And your heart will, will soar with joy at the, at the forgiveness of Jesus. He loves you. He does not want to bring sudden destruction upon this nation. But he is about to. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. This message is so vital. I want it to go out across America. Put it on your social network pages. Share it with family members. This is information that people need to have in their hands. And if God is moving in your heart, I need you to give that we could pay for these broadcasts and we could go out reaching even further with these broadcasts. So would you consider? Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and you can listen to this broadcast again. It'll be posted this evening. You can also give by going to the upper right-hand corner and clicking on Donate. I need your help. Not for me, for the gospel work, for the message, to reach a broad audience. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I hope this has been helpful to you. Thank you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.